And another thing And another thing And another thing And another thing Welcome to another episode of And Another Thing, the podcast that continues to set the bar in the world of podcasts. My name is Jody Jenkins. My name is Tony Clement. And Tony, before we mention our sponsors off the top, I couldn't help but notice I was scanning through some of our social media feeds and and you got into it with someone I'd never even heard of, Charles Adler. (laughs) Yes, I did. Yes, I did. But I know I should only post and ghost, but uh, I somehow just... uh, briefly inquired uh, what the source or the evidence was of his contention. And uh, that, of course, brought the whole wrath of Twitter onto my head. So there you go. <laughs> Lesson learned yet again. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you really got to watch yourself with that, Tony. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I already I already chimed in on. I kind of backed you up a little bit. Oh, did you? oh thank you. You can yeah. read that later. But uh yeah, I didn't even know. I know there's probably people listening to the show going, "How did Jody not know who Charles Adler was?" He's a or is he's a radio guy? Yeah, I, I think I don't think he's got a show anymore. But he uh, okay. he was on News Talk 1010 for a bunch of years, and then went to California for a while. Uh, he's he's done a lot of radio, for sure, um, okay. and uh, now kind of uses his uh, soapbox on Twitter to opine about various things. So there yeah, you I, go. I, yeah, I do. I do apologize to his fans. I. <laughs> I'm familiar yeah. with Charles Adler. So I thought you were going to bring up the the demise, uh, the unfortunate demise of Gila Fleur. That's what I thought you were going to talk about. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean that was sad too. But I'm not a a. I'm not a Habs fan. Okay. B. I don't really watch a lot of hockey. And C. That was well before my time. Really. Okay. So. Okay. But well, you obviously it was a rough moment for you. It was you know it was a little sad. He was only seventy, and uh, he was a big part of my life in the seventies for sure. So. And correct me if I'm wrong, because some some of the guys I was golfing with the other day were saying this that so he passed away of lung cancer, correct? Yeah, and he smoked was, like a chimney. Was, yeah, that's what they said. They're they're oh, like because yeah. I they were like oh shocker, right? But I I didn't realize he was smoking he, he a lot. would he would light up a cigarette in between periods. Come on, no, seriously, while playing hockey, while playing in the NHL, yeah, jeez, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, wow, no, no big okay. surprise, but still still a sad moment, but. The flower yeah, you know rest in peace. Yeah, I mean, when I, yeah, that is that is sad. But for me, again, if I was to think of the, the Montreal Canadiens and a, a player that stands out going back to when I was younger, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. mean, Patrick Waugh is the one that oh, always yeah. comes to of course. mind. Yeah, so. oh, great, great goal. Did Saku Koivu play there too? Oh, yeah, Koivu, Koivu yeah, was yeah. big. And he, yeah. he had a cancer and he fought, he fought it and came back to the game too. That's so. right, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So yeah, Koivu and and Wa Patrick Wa would be the ones that uh, Pat Roy for all the uh, <laughs> that's right for all the other people. But uh, anyway, I got to thank John Mutton and the team at Municipal Solutions, our presenting sponsor. Each week, they allow us to do this show. We couldn't do it without their support. You can find them online at municipalsolutions.ca. And Tony, I know you can expand on what they do. Yeah, no, absolutely. They are Ontario's leading MZO firm, Jody. That's municipal zoning orders. They're very important in the development process. And uh, they've... uh, 
they've developed a very big expertise in MZOs. So John wanted me to tell that to our audience. Of course, they're still there for all the other development approvals and permit expeditings. Uh, if you've got planning services with municipalities, engineering or architectural services, minor variances or land severances, or if you just need a plain old building permit, go to municipalsolutions.ca. And then I guess this is the final week I'll be uh, I'll be advertising this, but it, the Canada Strong and Free Networking Conference is right around the corner now. It's May 5th to 7th, 2022 at the Shaw Centre in Ottawa. There's going to be some amazing speakers, best practices sessions, receptions. There'll be a, a debate of some sort for the leadership candidates or for the uh, uh, Conservative Party of Canada. That's on, on the Thursday night. Go to CanadaStrongAndFree.network for the entire package there. You can, I think the early bird is over now, but you can still register. And of course, I wanted to mention that uh, this podcast will be rebroadcast at 88.7 Hunters Bay Radio in Muskoka. It's 8.30 every Saturday morning. Go to HuntersBayRadio.com. And don't forget, you can get exclusive episodes that cannot be heard anywhere else but looneypolitics.com. Well, how do I get those episodes, Jody? You can <laughs> become a subscriber by going to their website and using the code podcast. It gets you 50% off an annual subscription. And each month, Tony and I do an exclusive show for their subscribers. Once again, looneypolitics.com. Tony, before we get to our guest, and I'm excited about this one, we have a, a this is going to be fun. Um, I was thinking about the the nomination, or sorry, the leadership contest and the nomination stuff or whatever yeah. for the Conservative Party. You know what they should do instead of like selling memberships is they should have all the candidates that want to run for that. They all kind of, you know that game Wordle that everyone plays? Yeah, Wordle, get, Like yeah. six shots to guess the word. The first person that gets the word becomes the leader. Like I that, think that's that would what they save a do. lot of time and money, Jody. Huge. You're, you're onto something Huge. here. My wife and I do that sometimes. We're like, who's the first one to get Wordle? And then it's like, okay, whoever is, is it gets done first doesn't have to clean the kitchen or whatever. So, And there's a one, new one, a geography one too, called World or, or, Wordle World or, or, or something. I don't okay. know. You got if, it with- if some of those conservative candidates were smart, they'd be like, oh, shoot. I, you know, because it'd be like, whoever gets it done first gets to lead the party. Some of them be like, oh, shoot. I, I can't figure this out. Oh, yeah, no. Right. I ran out of opportunities. <laughs> that's right. There's somebody <laughs> else. Like, I got it. Do. I got it, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. He got it on the first go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on the first try. On the first try. He got it in there. No. There we go. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great <laughs> idea. Patrick's like I already won. I didn't even have to try. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you, you don't get to see won. you don't get to see my solution either. <laughs> oh, okay. No, we crack it. We crack us up. What can yes, I tell we, you? <laughs> for our own uh, our own entertainment. But anyway, so yes, our guest today, Tony. I know you're going to introduce him, and and I'm looking forward to this. So let's get to it. Yes. No. It's a and another thing podcast. Great pleasure to have with us retired Lieutenant General for the Canadian Forces, Andrew Leslie. He served as Chief of the Land Staff for the Canadian Forces 2006 to 2010, and he was a Liberal MP for the riding of Orleans from 2015 to 2019 and served as the Chief Government Whip. Welcome, Andrew. Hey, Tony. It's great to have you on the program, man. I, I know we saw each other kind of across the aisle there, but I don't think we got in any uh, any big uh, controversies, you and I, did we? 
No, as a matter of fact, you were very helpful when it, uh, my team and I in the Army were trying to do some re-equipping at the height mm-hmm. of the Afghan war. Thank you for that. Uh, for sure. No, I remember that, uh, of course. And uh, I was uh, able to visit Afghanistan, Kandahar, and to see how the equipment was being used. And uh, that was a, a big moment in my life, I can tell you that, uh, seeing our amazing Canadian soldiers uh, at work in, in the, uh, the theatre. Uh, I do want to talk about Afghanistan a bit later, but uh, first, first question: just, just, um, just uh, wondering how how life is post politics. You're doing okay, and uh, and whatnot. Oh yeah, I chose not to run in 2019, and I do a bunch of boards. I do some consulting, but uh, I have uh, enough latitude to do the things that I want to do, which is a great change. And absolutely. I know, I know the feeling, my friend, I know the feeling. So the reason I thought of you for our program, uh, was of course, uh, Russia, Ukraine and, and what's going on there. I'd love for you to take our audience through your thoughts as the Russian, maybe pre-invasion as the, the storm clouds were looming. And then as Russia started its invasion, what what was going through your head as a former soldier? Um, well, as a former soldier and strategist, and I spent a good number of years uh, as part of NATO at the height of the Cold War, getting ready for the Russian herds to try and swarm across the uh, inner German border. Mm-hmm. Um, Putin has been writing and preaching and showing his resentment Uh, over the collapse, if you would, of the Soviet empire and the dissolution down to the Russian state. And he's always had a yearning to try and reestablish that. This is um, his fifth or sixth invasion of a variety of countries in the region. Let's not forget, he first went into the Ukraine in 2014. Right. Limited objectives, and he got away with it. And So he probably, as a result, I think the trigger was the abrupt withdrawal of Western armies from Afghanistan, which probably reinforced his opinion that NATO did not have the will to fight or was not ready. And he said, right, it's now or never, in I go to Ukraine. It took him four and a half months to build his army up to 200,000. So hold on, you're, you're drawing a direct line to the shambolic exit from Afghanistan and what Putin decided to do, eh? Yeah, it was a contributing factor. Was right. it a brick or a pebble? I don't know. Right. I mean, I, I like to think, I, I mean, I think Putin's a sociopath, so I'm kind of proud of the fact that I don't think like him. Uh, so right. it's kind of hard to figure out what his logic is, but there's no doubt for four and a half months while well, he built his invading force up to 200,000 plus, the world did essentially nothing. Uh, Ukraine was frantically pleading for weapons and very countries stepped, very few countries stepped up to the plate. Really, the only one that did so was uh, the United States. Right. The invasion happens, Canada, shock and horror, uh, cries of how we have Ukraine's back, didn't actually do much. A couple of boxes of rifles, a couple of boxes of anti-tank systems that are unguided and very old. Uh, Of course, that's starting to change. We can talk about that later on. And I'm actually quite impressed with just what's happened over the last couple of days. Right. Yes. I I think we should make that point uh, that uh, it's not all bad now, but uh, it was kind of slow and coming, right? No, it was. No, Tony, it was bad. It was bad up until now. And now things are starting to happen, which, okay, let's, let's call it what it is. That's good. Anyways, 
Putin overestimated his capabilities as a strategist. There's books written about how you don't invade Russia, and Ukraine is essentially in the context of these historical books part of Russia, mm -hmm. uh, but certainly not now. You don't invade that portion of the world in spring when the rains will turn everything around you to mud, and he did. His generals are not nearly as competent as they claimed or as he thought, and his soldiers are not well versed in the combined arms skill where you get artillery, engineers, infantry, armor, air defense, and support systems all working together, doing complex things at the same time. Hmm. He underestimated the will and spirit and fighting ferocity of the Ukraine people who have been united in a tremendously heartwarming and epic fashion. Books are going to be written mm. about how well they've responded to this, this existential challenge of the Russian invasion. And he underestimated, dramatically so, uh, the natural leadership skills as a wartime president in the leader of the Ukraine. He also underestimated NATO's willingness to coalesce and to eventually get its act together. But he, what he did get correctly was that NATO was not ready. Right. So as he launched across the Ukraine-Russian border again, uh, and his main name appears, and it really hasn't shifted, is to encourage as many of the Ukrainians to leave as possible, kill a whole bunch of them to encourage the rest to leave. Hmm. And uh, he probably thought it was going to be over within a matter of weeks. Of course, that's not the case. His aim initially was to engage in a decapitating strike at Kyiv, the capital. As you know, that was repulsed. Right. The assault on the airfield was a disaster for the Russian airborne forces. And that gave a hint to the rest of us that, hmm, the Ukrainian army has got its act together. They know what they're so doing. So I, I got to ask, so when you... And it's it's fair. We all misinterpreted perhaps the beginning of this, but were you thinking that... Uh, that they, the, the Russians would successfully roll right through Kiev, or, or uh, were you confident that there'd be uh, quite a resistance? I, I was very confident that there would be ferocious resistance. Huh. And I was very confident that uh, the Russians had really no idea what they were doing. And the trigger or the cursor for all of that was watching them wait and wait and wait until the Olympics finished and Putin yeah. got back and then he launches attack, which was probably the worst possible week or two weeks in the entire year, considering that the, the criticality of getting uh, support vehicles carrying gas and ammunition up to his fighting troops would now be canalized on road networks, which after a short period of time being ground over by the tracks of thousands of tanks would be exactly the same as a sea of mud all around them. Yeah. Yeah, I knew that he was in trouble then, and a whole bunch of us did. I don't want to pretend I've got inside knowledge here, but uh, this is this is no surprise, and it's all due, all of it, quite frankly, to the uh, spirit of the Ukraine fighters, a lot of whom were civilians eight weeks ago. Yeah, well, that's the other thing, too, the way that they were able to mobilize the citizenry, right? Yeah, and decentralized command and control, uh, mission tasking, giving a whole bunch of men and women uh, equally power and autonomy to make local decisions, uh, keeping their armored reserves mobile and hitting hard, concentrating their firepower, using artillery, tanks, infantry, engineers, electronic warfare, anti-tank, anti-aircraft systems. And it's, uh, 
the Russians are really, really, really reeling from the, the, the stuffing, having the stuffing knocked out of them for the first uh, seven or eight weeks. Now they've regrouped. They're now focused on much more limited objectives. Right. Uh, because the decapitating activity didn't happen. They no, can no longer convince themselves they're going to win this in a couple of weeks and roll right across Ukraine. Now they're actually more dangerous because yeah. they are deliberately using high explosives, artillery, rockets, cruise missiles to smash cities, to kill civilians, and to essentially try and achieve limited aims probably over the next month or so. Um, but Putin is now in a vengeful furious mood um and we're not sure how this is going to end up are you concerned about the uh possible use of chemical weapons and uh and, and nuclear weapons in the theater i am and uh so is president biden and president biden i think wisely right at the beginning said look it's not our objective to go to war with russia but we reserve the right to do all that we can to help the people who are being attacked, the Ukraines, with weapons, munitions, humanitarian supplies, and a variety of other um, assistance measures. Putin might choose to use a chemical or a nuclear strike on Ukraine forces inside Ukraine. Mm. And of course, the conundrum for NATO is what happens next. Right. Do we reply? And if so, where? Do we retaliate in kind? In other words, do we do something with a nuclear chemical on Russian troops in the Ukraine? No, because we don't want to do that. Right. And we really don't want to do it in Russia either, because once you start what's called a nuclear pulse, it's really tough to stop. And it's so many levels of unpredictability. If people get it wrong, we all die. Yeah. Like everybody dies. But take so that's why you've got to you got to just think this through very very carefully, and that's why you need conventional forces so that there are alternatives to right. using nukes, and that's I'd, why NATO is going to build up its forces right now in Europe, which is starting to do, starting to happen. I'd love to get a sense from you. I mean, obviously, a lot of this you're you're a military strategist, as you've as you said, and a lot of this is war gamed, uh, and uh, there are you know live military exercises, but there's also just in a, in conference rooms, military strategists figuring out, well, if Putin does this, you know, here are options. That's, that's going on all the time, right? It is. Yes. And I used to be part of that, um, both in terms of my profession, I, a gunner, a artillery guy, and also as a, as a senior general on a variety of venues down in the United States. Can you give us a sense of, you know, sort of open the curtain just a little bit? There's a lot of munitions and material. You know, President Biden makes announcements on this, and that's great. But there's got to be a lot of stuff going back and forth that they don't even talk about, right? Yes. It's fair to assume that there's all sorts of stuff going back and forth. Yeah. Um, having said that, NATO has determined that they want to show the world and Russia what NATO countries are providing to help the Ukraine. So right. That there's, there's, it's part of the, the battle for the will, which the Ukraine people are winning right now, mm -hmm. on hands down. But that doesn't mean that Putin 
really cares about what the West thinks. Putin cares what his own people think. And part of the battle is to show that the battle of communications is to show that there's a huge level of support from European countries and allies uh, towards Ukraine because of the unprovoked Russian aggression. Hmm. What should Canada be doing more of at this point? Send more weapons. Really simple. Yeah. That's job one. Job two is get more troops to Europe. A couple of decades ago, (laughs) uh, we used to have a brigade group in Germany, fending off the possibility of the Russian hordes coming across the inter-German border. And I was there for many years. Deterrence worked. And it worked not because there was a nuclear tripwire, though that was part of it, but it also worked because there was a huge amount of conventional forces there. Because the logic behind mutual assured destruction, where if I've got nukes, you've got nukes or chemical weapons, the odds are larger that you won't use them because you know that I have the same number roughly that you do. Actually, Russia has more than the US. Uh, So I know you won't use them because it means we all die. Therefore, I can use my conventional forces, especially if you don't have any. And at the time that Putin invaded, there was no real defensive buildup of conventional forces on the inter-German border, Freudian slip, on the uh, uh, inter-NATO-Ukraine border. Gotcha. Okay. Which would have acted as a signal. Right. And we're going to have to think about doing that because the Russian bear is not going away. Yeah. No matter what happens, he's going to be vengeful, bitter. Um, and if Putin survives this experience without succeeding, which is unlikely, uh, probably be replaced by someone who thinks the same way. Same way. Yeah. Do you think a wider war with Russia is inevitable at some point? I think we're entering... I think with the invasion of Ukraine by such a sizable force that the world order probably changed more dramatically in that first week than at any time since the end of the Second World War. Russia was trying to align itself with China. China and Russia signed a cooperation agreement. Uh, India is indicating support for Russia and China. Pakistan is interested in uh, a variety of um, support measures and buying uh, products from Russia, and the list goes on. Um, Of note, uh, very few, if any, countries in South America have joined the sanctions against Russia. Very few countries in Africa uh, have joined the sanctions against Russia. Only two countries, to my knowledge, in Asia have joined the sanctions. And and I don't believe anybody in in the Caribbean have joined the sanctions. So um, we have a, a relatively focused view on what Russia's invasion of the Ukraine means, but it doesn't mean that our view is shared by the rest of the world. And therein lies, therein lies the potential for future conflict. We've got a, a division happening essentially between the oligarchs, the dictators, and, and the West. At the same time, NATO seems to be revived and could be even expanded with Sweden and Finland. So that, that's something, again, that Putin probably did not calculate on. No, he has uh, written and spoken many times about his desire to reintegrate uh, the Baltic states, Latvia, Estonia. And uh, um, uh, there's also some talk about establishing a land corridor to the Crimea, 
And um, I'm not sure what he's going to do should Finland and Sweden actually join NATO. Yeah. Well, he's saber-rattling, but uh, we don't know how far he's going to go right. on that. And yeah. that's just it. It's part of that that probabilities and wargaming uh, and posturing because if you posture and rattle your nuclear weapons in your saber case um, every second day, then after a while you lose credibility. On the other hand, you don't want to miscalculate. And should the worst happen with one or two you know, weapons of mass destruction being unleashed, everyone's just got to take a huge deep breath and think through very carefully what if. Now, we just had the federal budget. There were billions more dollars for defense. Uh, is that going to be impactful, do you think? Well, I got to be honest with you. It's smoke and mirrors. Really? And let me explain. Yeah, oh yeah. So over the last seven years now, the liberal government had came out with strong, secure, engaged, and they promised a whole bunch of money for defense. And then they didn't let or re-rolled or reprofiled or resynchronized or carry carry forwarded whatever bureaucratic nonsense term you want to use. $12 billion that was meant to be spent on equipment and the troops. So right now, a whole bunch of the equipment's really old and a bunch of it's broken, and they're about seven or eight thousand personnel short in DD as a direct result of this 12 billion not being spent. So for Minister Freeland to come out and say, hey, we're going to give you $8 billion over five years to D&D, okay, well, that doesn't cover the 12. That wasn't there when we needed it. So thank you for the $8 billion. Aha. But if you look closely at the budget, we want you to do the NORAD, North American Air Defense Renewal, which Canada has not been contributing to for many years, even though we promised to do so. And that's going to cost about $10 billion. Oh, and we also want you to do more stuff in the Arctic, which, by the way, makes a lot of sense because the Arctic right now is undefended. And don't forget, we have a Russian bear just on the other side. The trouble is that's going to cost another four or five billion. So let's do the math. You had eight billion in, but twelve billion was missing, so that's minus four. And we got to do the NORAD stuff, which is going to be about ten, so that's fourteen. And you're going to have to do the Arctic, which is two to four. So right now, the armed forces has got an impossible task of trying to do a whole bunch of extra stuff with less actual purchasing power than if they've been fully funded under strong, secure, engaged. So it's a long-winded yeah. way of me yeah. saying not acceptable, especially considering that everything just changed with the invasion of Ukraine. Yeah. I mean, they've got the best excuse in the world to reorient priorities, given that we're on a war watch now. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, governments have a variety of responsibilities, and a lot of governments don't realize deep down their job one is the safety and security of their citizens. And social programs are wonderful. Absolutely. But if that becomes mesmerizing yeah. to the political power and they forget their essentially base responsibility, in other words, at the base of their everyone's belief. Um, and for those who think that it's not our fight, well, I think you're wrong. Because what happens over there can happen here. And if you want a voice at the table and a voice of moderation, well, you better get involved. And we've enjoyed peace and security as a member of the NATO alliance for a long time, since its founding, shortly, shortly after the end of the Second World War. And be careful about walking away. Well, we don't want to walk away from NATO. Well, 
We're a G7 nation. Our gross domestic product actually now is bigger than Russia's. And if we don't start contributing a fair share, why would they, you know, why would they keep us? Well, and it's it's true that uh, a mul- multiple of presidents, U.S. presidents, Democrat, Republican, all were say- have been saying the same. President Obama said the same thing. Uh, you you were at the same speech that I was at in, in, in Parliament when President Obama addressed Parliament, and he did say, hey, you know, Canada, you got to meet your commitments for NATO. So it's not, not just President Trump saying that or President Biden saying that. It goes back to Obama and before that. Yeah, he said, we want more Canada. Everyone roared with applause. And then he said, we want more of your troops on active operations. We want more spent on NATO. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. I was there. Yeah, that's right. That was a big part of the speech. Hey, I got to, I, I, going a little bit personal here, but I would love to get a sense from you. When you started serving in parliament, you, you, your, most of your life had been in the military at that point. What was the key? Can you remember a key disconnect? Where, you know, you based on your upbringing and your military service, and then you got to Parliament and you said to yourself, "Whoa, this is different from what I've been used to or expected." Was there a was there a key disconnect moment? No, not with Parliament. Uh, I mean, as a senior officer, as the Army commander, uh, and before that, obviously, you know, one star, two star, but but. I mean, I was used to working with parliamentarians. My family has had a couple of parliamentarians um, in the past. And I had a, I counted a quite a large number of friends amongst parliamentarians on Mm. both sides of the, you know, both uh, conservative and liberal. So I was not disappointed with parliament. Um, There were some disappointing aspects of my journey through sort of chapter in my life, but nothing, you know, you know, uh, suck it up soldier. And, um, all in all, I found the vast majority of people were there for the right reason, trying to do good. I found that, um, the, uh, relentless focus on winning elections is understandable, but I find it, uh, exhausting of intellectual energy. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I understand it. I know why for a lot of people, it's the best job they're ever going to have. And they're fight awfully hard to keep it. Um, but in my case, that wasn't true. And, uh, there were a couple of trigger issues, which I won't go into. And I decided not to run. Mm. Okay. Okay. Fair, fair, uh, fair comment. So we're, uh, we're near the end uh, of our discussion. I, I did want to give you the floor. I, uh, about Afghanistan just for a second, because I know you've been outspoken about uh, how we've let some of our helpers down. And I'd, I'd love for you to sort of describe that and, and tell, tell the audience w- what you've said and what you think a better solution is. Yeah. And just to give your listeners context, if, if people do what I think is a good thing, I'll say so. So I think what the liberal government just did vis-a-vis sending the guns, which are the same type as 90 of what the Americans are sending. So there's a commonality of fleet sending heavy or well, medium artillery to Afghanistan and sending it very quickly and no muss, no fuss, no scampering around frantic bureaucrats flapping their arms and getting in the way. That was a good thing. Uh, The treatment of the Afghans who served Canada during, well, actually my tenure was for most of the Afghan war. uh, It was disgraceful. 
our ambassador and his staff were amongst the first to leave the country, the first military aircraft out. They never went back. We sent troops to take part in these, you know, sort of manning the, the barricades during the siege around the airport. Very few of them, if any, ever went outside the wire to bring Afghans in. Not their fault. They didn't have the orders from Ottawa. Uh, you know, we have enormous aircraft. The Americans and Brits were flying out five, six, seven hundred a shot in our first couple of flights. We had 15 or, you know, whatever, 15, 200, 300. And people worried about seatbelts. Hmm. Um, it was slow. It was ponderous. Uh, too much was micromanaged by uh, the former Minister of National Defense, and it was disgraceful, quite frankly. And as it stands now, there's still 10, 15,000 that are in hiding. People that we asked, not we, but the government asked to go to Kabul to be processed, to work your way through the labyrinthian maze of paperwork. And the people who were supposed to do the processing had fled leaving the Gurkha guards behind. Oh, my word. Or, sorry, the Nepalese guards. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not our finest moment. It wasn't anybody's finest moment, but a lot of other countries did better than we did, and I don't like hearing that. Is it fixable at all, Andrew? I don't know if it's fixable at this stage because the Taliban have had uh, quite some time now, a year essentially, not quite, but a, a year, uh, to sink their claws further into the sinews of the Afghan bureaucracy. And um, there's very, very few people who dare to surface, and it's hard to get in contact with, with folk who can get you out of Afghanistan unless you're willing to take a certain amount of risk. And those risks are increasing. So I'm not sure if, it's, is, if there's much more we can do right now. I think we, there was a window of opportunity. There's a whole bunch of veteran groups which are doing fantastic work, you know, raising funds to get people out of the country and to Pakistan or elsewhere and put them aboard aircraft to fly them to, to Canada or third party countries. But um, they didn't receive any, you know, they were asking for just a little bit of money from the feds. They didn't get it. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've contributed to one of those groups, uh, so you can definitely find them online, and uh, I would certainly encourage our listeners to, if that's something you want to help with, there are ways that you can help with these private, uh, but, but veterans-based associations that are trying to uh, do what they can. Um, I'm going to leave you with the last word here. Uh, you know, you spent a lot of time with our troops uh, overseas, Afghanistan being the primary one. Um, Still, still, I'm sure you met some pretty amazing people in your time. I've been honored and privileged to serve alongside what I think are the world's best. I'm very proud of Canada, I'm very proud of Canadians and our armed forces. Um, I think a lot of folk uh, in power right now forget the utility of force. Don't, you don't have to use it. Its main value is deterrence, but to be a credible deterrent, you have to fight. And sometimes certain things are worth fighting for. And Canada's reputation right now is slipping dramatically. We have less than 50 peacekeepers deployed globally around the world. We have probably no more than 1,500 armed forces personnel deployed outside of Canada right now, though that number may grow, hmm. which are very, very small numbers. And diplomacy is wonderful and socio-humanitarian support uh, and sanctions, great. But right now, we've got a dangerous bear on the loose 
and their example may encourage others to think likewise. It's a very dangerous time for all of us. And I think there should be more discussion and debate about what's going on overseas because it does have an impact here. 100%. Jody, I've been hogging the microphone. Anything you want to add with our guest? No, no, I've just been sitting back and uh, enjoying the conversation. The only thing I was, uh, not a co- question, more of a comment, I was just trying to imagine, Andrew, if you were still an elected official, and I know you wouldn't have said this, but coming out of the budget, if you got asked by the media about the military spending, and if, if you had said, hey, look, it's all smoke and mirrors, how that, how that would have went over as part of the government. So. As the chief government whip, that would have gone yeah. over really yeah. well. That would have been classic. Yeah, you know, you you know, you know, I'd like to think I would have, because at this particular time, at, at this nexus moment, with if with the the potential dangers looming so large, for people to essentially give little dribs and drabs, which are literally smoke and mirrors, is unconscionable. Well, you're a good man, Andrew. It was uh, great getting to know you a little bit, uh, both before Parliament and during Parliament, and uh, we certainly wish you well. And uh, thanks for sharing your insights with us today. My pleasure. Thanks, Jody. Thanks, Tony. Excellent discussion with uh, Andrew there, and a lot to unpack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was good. That was good. Yeah, you know, he look, this guy's been there. He knows how these operations work, uh, which is why I wanted to have him on because it's not just talking points for him. He actually knows how military operations go and what's uh, what's involved and what Canada is doing and what they're not doing. And uh, I think we had a pretty, uh, you know, straight up discussion with a former liberal MP, but also a former general who knew exactly what he was talking about. Yeah, that episode right there, Tony, that might win us another award. Uh, another um, one? Another well, I don't know if you noticed, but I updated our profile on uh, Twitter. Did <laughs> no, you see that? Our no, bio? I did not. I haven't. So it, is now, it now says five-time winners of the International Canadian Political Podcast Award. We're so. just It just goes from success to success. And not, not the Canadian Political Podcast Award, the International Canadian political podcast award so there it is five-time winners i'm reading this it right could be now number six this could be number six i i tell you well i don't know what we call them are they called the potties or something that's a good question I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, good actually, you're funny question. you're funny we could start our own award show though i know this one is legit like people want to look it up you can google international canadian political podcast award and you'll see we're five-time winners okay uh, only five-time winners. I don't think anybody's ever repeated like us. So, it's, you know, it's, Mansbridge. It's like, like the Chicago never. Bulls. Yeah, Mansbridge podcast hasn't won anything. Hurley Burley, 04. Um, I don't know any other podcasts. <laughs> yeah, no. Wyatt Sharp. <laughs> Wyatt Sharp. Yeah, he hasn't won anything. <laughs> he hasn't won anything yet. I think yet. he's too young. You got to be 16. You got to be 16. Yeah, Wyatt is dis- <laughs> disqualified. There we go. <laughs> All right. So once again, thanks to Municipal Solutions for being our presenting sponsor. You can find them at municipalsolutions.ca as well. Looneypolitics.com. Become an annual subscriber and use the code podcast to get 50% off your annual subscription. And Tony, I know you can share a little bit about where you're going to be in a week. Yeah. Canada Strong and Free Networking Conference is coming up. We'll hopefully get some interviews in there May 5th to 7th. 
uh, at the Shaw Center. Go to CanadaStrongAndFree.network. You'll see the whole itinerary. And yeah, I'll be roving around with my microphone and uh, hopefully getting uh, a few snippets from uh, the guests there that uh, I know the uh, And Another Thing podcast Thingalonians would want to hear from. You should buy a bunch of mugs and be seeding them out there. Just to handing them out like popcorn. <laughs> uh, by the way, you can get mugs at zekeagency.com. You can find more merch there as well. And I should say, too, that if you're coming to Ottawa for that conference, are you? when are you coming through? Like, are you going to stop and play golf? or? Alas, I'm flying. You're flying. Oh, Ooh. here he is, the elitist. Yeah. Flying into Ottawa. Flying and using my own money. Oh, you should have said using your own plane. That <laughs> yeah, would have been better. my own plane. Yeah, that's right. I'm getting the uh, I'm getting the jet out of the mothballs now. Yeah, you got you it. You don't you don't have to defend who how you're paying for it. I don't, people don't care anymore. No, they don't. Okay, that's good. I, Actually, I bet, I bet Charles Adler does. To be honest, I'd be more impressed if you had figured out a way to have the taxpayer pay for the flight. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, they're they're coming to pick me up at Muskoka <laughs> Airport. Like, good for you. Yeah. Hey, if you can do it, do it. Yeah. So. <laughs> Anyway, so that'll be, uh, well, geez, now, man, pick me up in Kingston. It could happen, baby. You never know. <laughs> All right. Well, enjoy. Uh, I guess we'll talk to you before you're actually at the conference. But Yeah, uh, we'll have another uh, podcast out, I guess, before the conference, but uh, yeah. it's coming up soon, just in a few days. Excellent. All right. Well, enjoy the rest of your week, and we will do this again in seven days. You bet.